So this is attachment, starting with caregiver-infant interactions. Infancy is a period of a child's life before speech begins, usually the first one to two years, with the main interaction between caregivers and infants being non-verbal communication. These interactions may form the basis for attachment. The manner in which each responds to the other determines the formation of attachment. And the more sensitive each other is to the other's signals, the deeper the relationship between parent and child will be. Attachment, according to Schaefer, is a close emotional relationship between two persons characterised by a mutual affection and a desire to may maintain proximity, where they may feel more secure when in the presence of the attachment figure. There are four key behaviours of attachment, according to Macoby. So Macoby identified these key behaviours of attachment as seeking proximity to the primary caregiver, both experiencing distress on separation, both experiencing pleasure on being reunited and a general orientation of behaviour towards the primary caregiver. There are two types of interaction, reciprocacy and interactional synchrony. Reciprocacy is responding to an action of another with an action where the actions of one partner causes a response from the other partner. They move in a rhythm almost as if they're taking turns, which is a precursor to later communications. The sensitivity of the caregiver to infant behaviour lays the foundation for later attachment. Interactional synchrony, on the other hand, is where they mirror what the other is doing with their, with their facial and body movements, and they move in the same pattern. This is an intentional imitation where they imitate actions and emotions. The key study of interactional synchrony was conducted by Meltzoff and Moore. So Meltzoff and Moore used a controlled observation with four different stimuli, which was shown by an adult model to a child whose response was, was filmed. The video of the child's response to the adult model showing the four stimuli was then judged by independent observers who had no knowledge of what the child had seen and they were asked to note all instances of infant tongue protrusions and head movements to, in different categories. Then inter-observer reliability was calculated, with scores being found to be all greater than 0.92. It was found that infants as young as 2 to 3 weeks old imitated specific facial and hand gestures, supporting the idea of interactional synchrony as a type of interaction. Evaluating research into reciprocacy and interactional synchrony, an advantage is that most of our research uses controlled observations, which allows fine details of behaviour to be recorded and analysed. For example, in Meltzoff and Moore's study, there was uh, the ability for the independent observers to look at the videos from multiple angles uh, and could watch frame by frame, etc. So there is good internal validity. However, as the behaviour is observed in a controlled environment, the studies may not reflect real-world infant behaviour and therefore the research may lack ecological validity. Another weakness is that most of the research uses observations which describe the behaviour, which may not be as useful as it doesn't tell us the purpose of the meanings behind the interactions. However, there is evidence that reciprocacy and interactional synchrony are important in the development of attachment, as well as in the development of empathy, moral reasoning and language. Supporting evidence for the importance of interactional synchrony comes from Isabella. Isabella observed 20 mothers and infants together and assessed their degree of synchrony and the quality of their attachment. Isabella found a positive correlation between the levels of synchrony and high levels uh, and quality of attachment. So high levels of synchrony led to high levels of quality and attachment, which has important parental implications. 
However, Isabella's research is correlational, so therefore cause and effect cannot be inferred. There is a problem with bidirectional ambiguity, so high levels of quality in attachment may be leading to the high levels of synchrony and the other way around. It may also be that there are other factors involved causing this high level of attachment rather than just high levels of synchrony. So that is caregiver infant interactions. You need to know reciprocity, interactional synchrony, and Meltzer and Moore's study. The development of attachment. Schaefer and Emerson investigated the development of attachment. Schaefer and Emerson used 60 infants from mainly working class homes in Glasgow. They ranged from 5 to 23 weeks of age at the beginning and they were studied until the age of one year. The mothers were visited every four weeks and in each visit the mother reported on their infant's response to separation in seven different situations. For example, being left alone. And then the mother reported on the intensity of any protest, which was rated on a four-point four scale, and also reported on who the protest was aimed at. The child's response to the interviewer at each visit was also measured to assess stranger anxiety. Schaefer and Emerson used their findings to construct a description of how attachment develops. Schaefer and Emerson decided that there were four stages, indiscriminate attachment, beginnings of attachment, discriminate attachment, and multiple attachment. Stage one was indiscriminate attachments, which is from birth to around two months. This is where the infant shows a similar response to all objects, no matter whether they're animate or inanimate. Towards the end of the period, though, a greater preference is shown towards social stimuli, for example, a smiling face. Reciprocity and interactional synchrony play a huge role in establishing relationships. Stage two was beginnings of attachment. So this is around the age of four months where they become more social and prefer to uh, be in human company than uh, inanimate objects. So they prefer human company to inanimate objects and can distinguish between familiar and unfamiliar people. They show a general uh, sociability and do not show, uh, however, they do not show stranger anxiety. Stage three, discriminate attachments. So this is around uh, seven months where separation, anxiety and joy on reunion with person they have made a specific attachment with, their primary attachment figure. They also show stranger anxiety, not always with the person the infant spends the most of the time with, just the person who responds quickly and sensitively to their signals. The primary attachment figure is 65% the mother, 30% mother joint first, 3% the father and 27% father joint first. So again, the primary attachment figure was 65% the mother, 30% mother joint first, 3% father and 27% father joint first. Stage three was then multiple attachments, where they develop a wider circle of multiple attachments. Schaefer and Emerson found that within a month of making the first attachment, 29% had multiple attachments, and by six months, this had risen to 78%. Separation anxiety is also shown with these relationships. These relationships may be with a grandparent, for example. Evaluating Schaefer and Emerson's investigations on the development of attachment, a big weakness is that it has unreliable data. It's based on mothers' reports of their infants. Some mothers may have been less sensitive to their infants' protests and therefore less likely to report them, whereas others may bias their reports due to social desirability bias, as they may wish to be seen as the infant's primary attachment figure, so therefore the study lacks internal validity. 
Also, the study lacks temporal validity as it was conducted in the 1960s and parental care has changed considerably since then, as many women now go to work and so many uh, infants are cared for outside the home or fathers may stay home to care for their children. For example, dads staying at home has quadrupled over the past 25 years, so therefore findings lack temporal validity and cannot be generalised to today's society. Another weakness is that it is a biased sample, as a study used an individualistic sample, so it may not generalise to other cultures, such as collectivist cultures, where parenting and childcare is likely to be very different. Also, the sampling was, sample was all work, working class, so it may not generalise to other social groups, such as middle class. Another weakness is that the status of the multiple attachments in stage 4 is unclear. Bowlby argued that an infant forms one special emotional relationship, in his monotropy hypothesis and that secondary attachments were important for other reasons whereas Rutter argued that all attachments are equivalent so therefore the status of stage 4 multiple attachments is unclear. The role of the father there is an expectation in Western culture that fathers should play a greater role in childcare. The number of women working full-time has increased it has been found that women adopt a more nurturing and caregiving role, whereas fathers adopt a more playmate role than mothers. Infants prefer contact with mother when distressed and prefer contact with father when in a positive emotional state. Schaefer and Emerson found fathers were less likely to take the primary attachment figure role, 3% compared to 65% women, but 27% were a joint first object. They suggested that this was because fathers spent less time with their children on average. This idea by Schaefer and Emerson of fathers spending less time with their children on average and thus being less likely to be their primary attachment figure, 3%, was supported by Ross et al. Ross et al. found a positive correlation between the number of nappies a father changed and the strength of their attachment. Explanations for this, we have biological factors and social factors. Biological factors such as hormones. So the female hormone oestrogen underlies calming behaviours. Oxytocin is known as the tend and befriend hormone and is released in a large quantity after a mother gives birth. Both are more prevalent in females than males, suggesting that there are biological reasons why men are less likely to be the primary attachment figure. Social factors. Society's expectations of men and women are different. Gender stereotypes might affect men's behaviour. It may be seen as feminine to be sensitive to others' needs. However, there are no gender differences in the physiological response to a baby crying. A strength of the role of the father is that although fathers are rarely the primary attachment figure, they still play an important role in being the secondary attachment figure. As research shows that they are more playful and physically active, the lack of sensitivity could also be a positive thing as it encourages the child to develop problem-solving skills and think for themselves and also develop cognitive skills. A weakness, however, is findings on the role of the father have been inconsistent as some have concentrated on the father as the primary attachment figure and some as the secondary attachment figure, so it makes it diff difficult to determine what the role actually is. A weakness is that evidence suggests that the role of the father is not as important as the mother. McCallum found that children brought up in a household with a single mother or in the same-sex families do not develop any differently to those brought up in a household with a mother and father. Therefore, it is likely that fathers play more of a secondary role. The last weakness is that the research is socially sensitive. It implies children will be disadvantaged if their mother returns to work shortly after birth or if they live with a single father. 
Next is measuring attachment. And so to measure attachment, we use Ainsworth and Bell's strange situation. So Ainsworth and Bell's strange situation to measure attachment. Ainsworth and Bell used a controlled observation consisting of seven three-minute episodes, including a stranger entering the room, the caregiver leaving, the stranger leaving, and then the caregiver returning. The main behaviours recorded were separation anxiety, the willingness to explore, the stranger anxiety, and reunion behaviour, so joy on reunion. They identified three types of attachment. Type A was uh, avoidant, which they found this in 22% of the infants. This was where there was no separation anxiety, they would avoid, avoid contact on reunion, and they do not prefer mother to stranger. Type B is secure, which they found in 66% of the infants. This is where the infant explores the room when mother is present, experiences separation anxiety but is comforted when mother returns, prefers mother to stranger, and this type of attachment, type B secure, is thought to lead to healthy emotional and social development. And then type C that they identified was uh, insecure uh, resistant. So resistant they found in 12%. This is where the infant explores very little when mother is present. They are uh, wary of stranger. There is extreme separation anxiety, but angry when mother returns. So they're both seeking and rejecting com uh, contact. A strength is that there is high test-retest reliability. When tested at a later date, most babies remained at the same category. For example, one study in Germany found that 78% of children were classified as the same type of attachment when tested at one and six years old. Changes only occurred when changes in the form of care had occurred, showing that attachment type is consistent. Ethical issues, as participants were not protected against harm, some babies seem to get really upset, which is also upsetting to the mother. The mother may also be embarrassed if the child is rated as insecure, either avoidant or resistant. Also, the study may lack internal validity. There are many reasons why the strange situation may lack internal validity. One is that the behaviour of the child may reflect the temperament hypothesis. And so infants may be born more independent or friendly, and thus their behaviour is due to innate personality characteristics rather than attachment type. Also, findings may reflect the child's personal previous experiences rather than attachment type, including whether they're used to strangers and if they're used to separation. For example, Japanese baby who appear more resistant uh, was because they were rarely separated from their mothers. And also demand characteristics may affect the mother as the observation is avert, uh, overt, so she is aware she's being studied. And she knows part of the aim, so therefore she may interact with her baby more than normal due to social desirability bias. So therefore the study may not uh, be internally valid because the behaviour of the child may reflect the temperament hypothesis, it may reflect the child's personal previous experiences, and it may reflect demand characteristics. The following uh, evaluation point can be applied to the strange situation by Ainsworth and Bell, Bowlby's evolutionary monotropic theory and Bowlby's continuity theory. The study has predictive validity slash supporting evidence for the internal worker model slash supporting evidence for the continuity hypothesis effect on romantic relationships it was found by Hazen and Shaver's love quiz. Hazen and Shaver's love quiz found that romantic types were related to early attachment styles. The love quiz was printed in a US newspaper. Avoidant types were typically uh, of those who feared intimacy and felt that they did not need love to be happy. Secure types rated love as happy and trusting, 
and resistant types experience love as involving obsession, extreme emotional highs and lows, and extreme jealousy. This supports that the strange situation has predictive validity, predicting future behaviour. However, there are some problems with Hazen and Shaver's love quiz, which can also apply to all three of uh, them topics. Retrospective data, so memories may not be correct. It's a questionnaire, so participants may be affected by social desirability bias, as it is a personal topic, so they may wish to be seen in a positive light. Also, participants volunteered, so the sample is likely to be biased with people who are happy in their relationship. So these methodological issues mean that the predictive validity of the strange situation or the evidence for the internal working model is uh, inconclusive. Next is cultural differences in attachment. So Isendorn and Cronenberg compared results of the strange situation for different cultures using a meta-analysis, excluding studies that use specific groups such as Down syndromes or twins. They examined data from 2,000 situations from 32 studies in eight countries. They found that secure attachment was most common, overall average 65%. Avoidant was the next common, particularly common in Germany with 35%, except in Japan, 27%, and Israel, 29%, who had higher resistant than avoidant. For all of the others, uh, resistant was the next common. So I said that again. Secure attachment was the most common, overall average of 65%. Avoidant was the next common, uh, particularly common in Germany with 35%, except in Japan, 27%, and Israel, 29%, who had higher resistance. There was a little variation in attachment between cultures, but they did find variation within cultures to be 1.5 times as much. Isendorn and Cronenberg explained the cultural differences in attachment by the effects of mass media on parenting views. A weakness is that the meta-analysis was actually measuring differences between countries, which is different to cultures. They found the variation within countries to be 1.5 times greater than between countries. So there is a danger of exaggerating differences between countries and minimising differences within countries. The data was collected from different subcultures, for example, some were from rural groups and some from urban groups. For example, Israel participants lived in a kibbutz, which is very different from living in Tel Aviv. Another weakness is that they only use studies that use the strange situation, but the strange situation lacks internal validity. So the temperament hypothesis, previous experiences and demand characteristics mean that the strange situation lacks internal validity. Another weakness is that it is designed for assessing attachment in Americans and so may not be valid for assessing other cultures, so it is an imposed ethic approach. Different cultures have different norms and therefore the procedure may not translate across cu cultures. There is a danger that the USA is considered normal and others abnormal as, a stone, as the strange situation lacks cross-cultural validity. This is supported by some of the country's findings. Israel's findings, who were more resistant than avoidant, due to children being raised in a kibbutz who were used to separation from their mother but were not used to strangers, explaining why they appeared more resistant. Also, Japan's findings, who were more resistant and avoidant, which may be due to Japanese mothers rarely leaving their children. Also, Germany's findings, where they found less levels of resistant and more avoidant, due to the in, uh, interpersonal distance being kept between parents and children. 
Next are the animal studies. So Lorenz investigated imprinting. Imprinting is the innate readiness to develop a strong bond with the mother which takes place during a specific time of development, most likely to be the first few hours after birth or hatching. Lorenz divided a clutch of gosling eggs into two groups, with one being left with her biological mother and the others placed in an incubator, with the incubator eggs uh, hatching. The first living, moving thing they saw was Lorenz, and they quickly started to follow Lorenz around. He then marked the two groups and placed them together. Lorenz found that the goslings he looked after that had come from the incubator had imprinted on him despite their biological mother being present, who they showed no recognition to. Imprinting, he said, was limited by a critical period, which was usually two days. If the young animal isn't exposed to a moving object within that period, the animal will not imprint and will not form an attachment. Lorenz also suggests that early imprinting has an effect on mate preferences known as sexual imprinting as the animals who choose uh, who imprint will choose to mate with the same kind of object upon which they were imprinted. The study supports the idea of imprinting and that there is a critical period, two days, that this must occur. A strength is that there is supporting evidence from Guton's research. Guton found that leghorn chicks were exposed to uh, yellow rubber gloves and imprinted on them, supporting the idea that animals imprint on the first moving object they see during the critical period of two days. The leghorn chicks also sexually imprinted onto the, grov- in- onto the gloves, with male chickens trying to mate with the gloves later in life. However, a weakness is that it is too simplistic as it sees the process as rigid and irreversible. However, it has been shown to be more flexible than this. For example, Guton, who did the investigation on the leghorn chicks and the yellow rubber gloves, found that the uh, process could be reversed. So he could reverse the imprinted in chickens who tried to mate with the rubber gloves by having them spend more time with their own species when they then engaged in normal sexual behaviour. So therefore, Lorenz's research and theory is too simplistic. And the last weakness is that animal studies cannot generalise to humans because humans are capable of more complex thought processes and their thoughts are governed by conscious decisions. The bonding and growing in humans takes place over longer periods of times as humans are born more helpless than birds. However, the research may be a useful pointer in understanding human behaviour, but we should seek to replicate with humans. Next is Harlow's investigation on whether attachment is based on comfort or feeding with his monkey study. Harlow created two different mothers with different heads. One was made out of wire and the other was covered in soft cloth and both had a milk bottle or in some versions the monkey mother had no feeder bottle. Eight infant rhesus monkeys were studied for 165 days and they were placed in a cage with a wire and a cloth covered mother. For four monkeys, the milk bottle was on the cloth-covered mother, and for the other four, the milk bottle was on the wire mother. Harlow found that all eight monkeys spent most of their time with the cloth-covered mother, whether or not it had the feeder bottle. This time was about 18 hours that they spent with the cloth-covered mother. The monkeys who fed from the wire mother only spent a short amount of time getting milk and then returned to the cloth-covered mother. When frightened, all monkeys clung to the cloth-covered mother. And Harlow then concluded that attachment is based on comfort um, rather than feeding. Long-lasting effects were found by Harlow. So motherless monkeys developed uh, abnormalities and were socially abnormal, freezing or fleeing when approached by other monkeys. 
but they were also sexually abnormal and also didn't cradle their own babies. Harlow identified a critical period for these effects. If the motherless monkeys spent time with their monkey peers before they were eight, were three months old, they seemed to recover. However, if monkeys spent uh, more time than six months with the wire monkeys, they couldn't recover. So I'm going to go over the AO1 again. So Harlow used eight infant rhesus monkeys with studies for 165 days. They were placed in a cage with both a wire and cloth-covered mother. For four monkeys, the milk bottle was on the cloth-covered mother, and for the other four, the milk bottle was on the wire mother. Harlow found that all eight monkeys spent most of their time with the cloth-covered mother, whether or not it had the feeder bottle, which was about 18 hours. The monkeys who fed from the wire mother only spent a short amount of time getting milk and then returned to the cloth-covered mother. When frightened, all monkeys clung to the cloth-covered mother, leading Harlow to conclude that attachment is based on comfort rather than feeding. Harlow also found long-lasting effects, so the motherless monkeys developed abnormally and were socially abnormal, freezing or fleeing when approached by other monkeys, were sexually abnormal and also didn't cradle their own babies. Harlow identified a critical period for these effects. If the motherless monkeys spent time with their monkey peers before they were three months old, they seemed to recover. However, if monkeys spent more than six months with the wire monkeys, they couldn't recover. A weakness, however, is that the artificial mothers varied as the two heads were different, which may act as a confounding variable. It may be that the monkeys preferred one mother to the other because the cloth-covered mother had a more attractive head, so therefore the conclusions may lack internal validity. Another weakness is that animal studies cannot generalise to humans as humans are capable of more complex thought processes and their behaviour is governed by conscious decisions. However, a strength and counter-argument of this is that the observations seen in animals have also been seen in humans. For example, Schaefer and Emerson found that infants were not most attached to the person who fed them, showing that animal studies can be a useful pointer, but we should replicate. Another weakness is that there are ethical issues, so it created longing, uh, long-lasting emotional harm for the monkeys. For example, they were unable to form relationships with their monkey peers or cradle their own babies. However, a counter-argument of this is that it could be said that this is necessary as we couldn't carry out the procedure on humans, and instead we have to rely on very rare cases if we wish to apply this to humans. For example, Jeannie, who was abandoned in Rome for 13.5 years. A strength of the study is that it led to better care for humans and primate infants. Next is the learning theory explanation of attachment. So the learning theory explanation of attachment argues that behaviour is not innate, but it is learned as a result of classical and operant conditioning. So classical conditioning, a baby is born with reflexes and food provides pleasure. The person providing the food becomes associated with this pleasure and becomes a conditioned stimulus. Also operant conditioning, rewarded behaviours are repeated and so after feeding the hunger drive is reduced. And this is rewarding. Since the mother provides the food, she becomes a secondary reinforcer and the infant becomes attached, striving to be close to her. A strength is that this is based on scientific experiments which were carried out on animals in lab conditions with high control of extraneous variables, so therefore we can infer cause and effect. However, it is reductionist as it reduces complex human behaviours down to just learning through association and rewards. There are other explanations, such as Balby's evolutionary theory. So therefore, the learning theory explanation of attachment is reductionist. A weakness is that the core idea of the theory has been flawed, as it's been disproved by Harlow. 
with his study on monkeys where he used wire mothers and cloth-covered mothers who either had a milk bottle who, or didn't, and he found that the monkeys spent most of their time with the cloth-covered mother, 18 hours, regardless of whether it had the milk bottle or not, showing that attachment formed due to comfort, not due to feeding, like the behaviourist explanation argues. So therefore the core idea of the theory is flawed by this study. Also, the core idea is also flawed by Schaefer and Emerson's research into their uh, in their study of Glasgow babies, which found that in about 40% of human infants, the adult who fed, bathed and changed the infant was not the person to which the infant was most attached. Infants were more likely to be attached to the adults who were the most responsive to them. So not just feeding, as your theory suggests. So therefore, the approach is flawed by both Harlow's research and Schaefer and Emerson's research. Next is Balby's evolutionary monotropic theory, explanation of attachment. Balby's evolutionary monotropic theory is based on the idea of imprinting. Attachment is an innate and adaptive process, and it's involved because it promotes safety and thus survival. Safety is promoted as it results in a desire to maintain proximity. It also forms a basis and a template for emotional relationships via an internal working model about relationships which leads to expectations, known as the continuity hypothesis. It also forms a secure base for exploration. Bowlby argued that humans are innately programmed to respond to social releases, such as crying, which ensures survival. Innate tendency is to form a strong, qualitatively different attachment to one individual within a hierarchy of attachments, with the primary attachment figure at the top, who forms the basis of the internal working model. The critical period during which a child could form an attachment is up to 2.5 years, or the child would suffer long-term damage. The monotropy hypothesis is what argues that it is the uh, primary attachment figure which forms the internal working model. So again, I'll reiterate... Balby's evolutionary monotropic theory is based on the idea of imprinting, that attachment is an innate and adaptive process which evolved because it promotes safety and thus survival. Safety is promoted as it results in a desire to maintain proximity, as well as forming a basis and template for emotional relationships via an internal working model about relationships which leads to expectations, known as the continuity hypothesis. It also forms a secure base for extra exploration, and Balby argued that humans are innately programmed to respond to social releases, such as crying, which ensures survival. Innate tendency is to form a strong, qualitatively different attachment to one individual within a hierarchy of attachments, with the primary uh, attachment figure at the top, who forms the basis of the internal work working model. The critical period during which a child could form an attachment is up to 2.5 years, or the child would suffer long-term damage. Strength is that there is supporting evidence for the internal working model from Hazen and Schaefer's love quiz. So if you want to reiterate that, go back to the segment on Hazen and Schaefer's love quiz. And then you can counter-argue that with the methodological issues with the quiz. So internal working model evidence is inconclusive. So it's retrospective social desirability bias because it's a questionnaire and volunteer bias. So go back to the segment on the love quiz for that, as that is supporting evidence of Belby's evolutionary monotropic theory. A weakness is that there are many other factors influence future relationships, such as experiencing divorce during childhood or cheating in previous adult relationships. Some suggest that we have an innate temperament that determines how well we form relationships, and there may be other factors that affect later relationships other than the internal worker model. 
There is a criticism of the critical period of 2.5 years. It may not be so absolute as research has shown that children who are adopted after the critical period can form attachments if extra effort is put in. So 2.5 years may be a sensitive period rather than a cutoff point. Therefore, the critical period is flawed and instead we should know it as a sensitive period instead. Next is Bowlby's maternal deprivation hypothesis. So deprivation occurs when a child has formed an important attachment but is then separated from the major attachment figure and this separation has caused some bond disruption. Separation plus a disruption or loss of attachment, for example when a parent dies or divorce occurs. So Bowlby's maternal deprivation hypothesis is where Bowlby argued that having an attachment, so emotional care, is as important for development as physical care. Breaking the bond during the early years is likely to have serious effects on the child's intellectual, social and emotional development, where they may, they may have difficulty forming relationships due to the internal working model, and the effects are irreversible and permanent. Bowlby argued that there is a critical period of about 2.5 years, with a continuing risk until about 5 years. A child who is denied maternal care due to frequent and or prolonged separation would become emotionally disturbed if this happened before the age of about 2.5 years. So Bowlby argued that having an attachment, emotional care is as important for development as physical care. Breaking the bond during the early years is likely to have serious effects on the child's intellectual, social and emotional development, where they have difficulty forming relationships due to internal working model. The effects are irreversible and permanent with a critical period of about 2.5 years, with a continuing risk until about 5 years. A child who is denied maternal care due to frequent and or prolonged separation would become emotionally disturbed if this happens before the age of about 2.5 years. A strength is that there is supporting evidence from Balby's 44 Thief study. So 88 clients aged 5 to 16 from the Child Guide Guidance Clinic where Balby worked where 44 had been referred to the clinic due to stealing, and 14 of these were identified as affectionless psychopaths, as they appear to have little sense of social responsibility, showed no guilt for their crimes. The other children who hadn't committed a crime, so the other 44, acted as a control group. Balby then interviewed them and built up a picture of their early life experience. 86% of the affectionist psychopaths had experienced early separation frequently. So, for example, being in foster care. Only 17% of the non-psychopath thieves had uh, had experienced early separations frequently and almost none of the control group had. So, therefore, early separation affected the emotional development, which supports the hypothesis. So, again, I'll go over the 44 thieves study again. So supporting evidence for the maternal deprivation hypothesis by Bowlby is Bowlby's 44 thief study. This is where 88 clients aged 5 to 16 from the child guidance clinic where Bowlby work, where 44 had been referred to the clinic due to stealing. 14 of these 44 had ident were identified as affectionless psychopaths as they appeared to have little sense of social responsibility and showed no guilt for their crimes. The other children who hadn't committed a crime acted as a control group. Balby interviewed them and built a picture up of their early life experience. 86% of the affectionate psychopaths had experienced early separations frequently, for example being in foster care. Only 17% of the non-psychopath thieves had experienced early separations frequently and almost none of the control groups. 
Early separation therefore affected later emotional development, which supports the hypothesis. However, counterargument of this study is that it uses retrospective data and so the memories may be inaccurate. And also there could also be researcher bias as Balby conducted all aspects himself and it was conducted to support the theory. So therefore there may be expectancy effects. A strength is that there is important application as it gave rise to a positive change in infant care. So for example, orphanage care improved to take account of emotional needs. For example, trying to keep children in one foster home. A weakness is that the critical period has been challenged as it has been shown that with extra effort children can recover, so it may be more of a sensitive period. Also, the time that the research was conducted was just after the war, and during the war women had assumed men's jobs. It has been suggested that the theories were used to make women stay at home with their children to free up the workplace for returning men, which may explain why it was taken up by the government. Institutionalisation was investigated by Rutter. Institutionalisation refers to children brought up in care homes, such as orphanages, where they are unlikely to have any contact with family members, which causes privation. Privation is the failure to form an attachment. Rutter et al. investigated the effects of institutionalisation. Romanian adoptees entered the orphanage as uh, young babies between one to two weeks old, where the conditions were very poor. For example, bottles were strapped to cots, shown by video footage. And the children showed evidence of severe malnourishment. So, for example, they were the bottom third of the population for weight and head size. 58 babies were adopted before six months, whereas 59 babies were adopted between six months and 24 months. Rutter used three groups three groups for comparison. UK-born adoptees, which were the control group. Romanian adoptees adopted before six months, so in this we had the 58 babies. And Romanian adoptees adopted after six months, and we had 59 babies in this group. Rutter followed the group in a longitudinal study at ages 4, 6 and 11, with interviews, observations and teacher reports. At age four, they found severe cognitive deficiency and severe malnourishment. Most of the Romanian children adopted before six months had caught up with the UK adoptees in size and cognitive ability by age four. However, those adopted after six months had ongoing defects. At age 11, those differences in IQ persisted. Those adopted before six months, average IQ was 102, whereas those adopted after six months, average IQ was just 86. So 102 IQ for those adopted before six months at age 11 and those adopted after six months average IQ was 86. At age six differences with attachments were found. Disinhibited attachments were very likely in those adopted after six months. So disinhibited attachments are attention seeking behaviours where the child is often inappropriate with strangers with a relative lack of sensitivity in social relationships. This was found to occur in 26.1% in those adopted after six months, but only 8.9% in those adopted before six months. So 26.1% in those adopted after six months, but only 8.9% in those adopted before six months. Rutter therefore concluded that for some, the effects of living in an institution and not forming attachments within Bowlby's critical period could be long term. Particularly in late adoptees, but the effect could be reduced with extra effort and early adoption. A strength is that it is longitudinal, so it's carried over a long period of time and uses a range of measures to assess the children's behaviour, including semi-structured interviews, observations and teacher reports. 
This provides a rich and detailed picture of the adoptees functioning in different areas of their social world in the long term. This provides both qualitative and quantitative data and using different methods helps to overcome the weaknesses of other methods known as triangulation. However, a weakness of it being longitudinal is that attrition may occur. So attrition is where people drop out. Some people are more likely to drop out than others, which creates a bias. For example, troubled children are more likely to drop out and attrition is therefore more likely in troubled children. And there may also be a problem with researcher bias as the researchers get to know the families and children in a longitudinal study, which may affect the conclusions. And so, therefore, the study might lack validity due to this attrition, as well as the researcher bias. A strength is that there is positive implications, as today, most babies are adopted within the first week of birth. And research shows that adoptive mothers and children are just as securely attached as non-adoptive families. It's also led to changes in, in institutions around the world. For example, there's more emotional care and more staff, etc. in institutions. A weakness is that it may be that institutionalised children do not experience total privation as they may attach to other children. And the final weakness is that as it is a natural experiment, we cannot infer cause and effect. Institutionalisation cannot explain negative outcomes alone, as many of those adopted after six months developed normal attachments, so it cannot be institutionalisation alone. For example, the temperament hypothesis would argue that innate personality characteristics could explain the individual differences in each group. And lastly is Bowlby's continuity hypothesis, which investigates the impact of attachment on adult relationships. Bowlby's theory suggests that early relationships provide the basis for later relationships, known as the continuity hypothesis. The attachment type becomes an internal working model for what we believe relationships to be like, and this provides us with a template of how to behave in future relationships. Bowlby argued that we develop an attachment style consisting of self-esteem, so attitudes about ourselves, and interpersonal trust, which is attitudes about others, which are the basis of secure attachment style. The absence of these conditions might result in the development of an insecure attachment style. Ainsworth identified three types of attachment in, this, in a strange situation. Type A was avoidant, which occurs when caregivers are distant and do not uh, want intimacy with the infant. The infant wants to be close to the caregiver, but learns that they are likely to be rejected. Type B is secure, which occurs when caregivers are responsive to the infant's needs, so the infants trust the caregivers and are not afraid of being abandoned. Type C is resistant, which occurs when caregivers are inconsistent and overbearing in their affection, so infants are anxious because they never know how and when the caregivers will respond. According to the attachment theory, a child who has a secure attachment type will have adopted an internal walking model, which will lead to positive interactions with friends, and romantic partners and also lead to better parenting skills. Supporting evidence for the effect of attachment on romantic relationships comes from Hazen and Shaver's love quiz. So go back to the segment on the strange situation AO3 for this and then we can counter argue that with the methodological issues with the love quiz and go back to the segment to see that. So retrospective questionnaire, so social desirability bias and volunteer bias which may mean that the theory is not supported by Hazen and Shaver's love quiz. Supporting evidence for the effect on childhood relationships comes from a Minnesota parent-child study. The Minnesota parent-child study followed participants from infancy to late adolescence and found continuity between early attachment and later social behaviour. 
For example, those classed as securely attached were rated higher in social competency in later childhood, were more popular and were more empathetic. Also supporting evidence for parenting skills comes from mothers brought up in care homes who have been found to interact poorly with their own children due to a lack of internal worker model to provide a template on how to look after their children effectively. Also supporting evidence comes from Harlow's monkey study, which also supports this as the motherless monkeys did not uh, cradle their own babies. A weakness is that it is correlational, so we cannot infer cause and effect, and so it may not be early attachment style that causes future attachment, as other factors may be important, such as, as temperament hypothesis and parental divorce, etc. Another weakness is that it is deterministic, as it implies early experiences will determine future relationships. However, many children with insecure attachments can experience happy adult relationships. Also, it is socially sensitive due to the deterministic nature, as it blames parents. The last weakness is that it is reductionist, as it focuses on the role of nurture, but ignores the role of nature. The temperament hypothesis would argue that it is our innate temperament that determines how well we form relationships, and thus it is too simplistic to explain attachment and attachment's impact on future adult relationships, childhood friendships, and parenting skills.